we've got Mac and Chacho, which is already the makings of a good television show on TNT, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. That's a so, great name for a show. It is. It is. So you, you go by Mac. I learned recently you go by Mac, but you're a McKeever. Yes. On Twitter. So, so speak a little bit about uh, what you do, Mac. Uh, well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's, it's always an honor. Um, and so what I do is I'm the founder and managing partner of Rare Breed Ventures. Uh, we're in the process of raising a $10 million uh, venture fund, investing in companies, uh, doing pre-seed to seed investments in companies primarily outside of major tech hubs, outside of Silicon Valley, New York, and Massachusetts. And so it's rarebreedvc.com, correct? Absolutely. Rarebreed.vc. And I will uh, disclose here that I am a newly uh, uh, added LP and very happy to be so. And can so I happy to have you. Yeah, I can't wait to see what you do with it. Um, I've been making LP investments or commitments since 2018, investments since 2019, um, you know, out of pocket, personal. And so it comes in waves. It's like when I when I get something, I'll put it back out there. And what the, the goal of it is, is to be uh, evergreen um, and, and to grow it. And we, we have some interesting plans uh, to include backstage eventually in that. So having said all that, we also have Chacho Valadez, of course, because Chacho, we just decided Chacho is going to be my sidekick. Uh, yep, and I'll I'm be back. his sidekick on, on the sports show he's going to do that. I don't, that he'll have to explain everything to me. <laughs> yeah, I will. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll give you a dossier before each show. Each show. I, I love it. Love it. <laughs> So I thought what we do on this episode is talk like we have been doing uh, recent Mondays is about um, kind of current events, your take on current events and, and a little bit more about um, the type of the type of work you're going to be doing and have been doing. Uh, so um, before we kick off the current events, Matt, can you just say a little bit about your background so that people are get, can be more familiar? Yeah, so um, I'm from Baltimore, where I'm based out of now. I uh, went to Morgan State to study computer science, um, ended up becoming a government contractor with a top secret clearance and did that for several years before starting my first startup. I ran that for four and a half years and eventually sold the IP of that off to a division of a Fortune 100 company. I started another company, that one failed, you know, startup life. Um, ended up working at a marketing firm for a year, so I had like a gap year here. Yeah. Um, but then the marketing firm I worked at decided to, you know, do some really not terrible things, but they, they, they took on a client I didn't agree with ethically, so I had to quit. And when I quit, I didn't know what I was going to do and somehow found my way to the investment arm of the state of Maryland. So I worked at the Maryland Technology Development Corporation for several years. And while there, I started doing seed investments. And then when they hired me, they were struggling to invest in underrepresented founders. So I led an initiative to create a pre-seed fund to invest in uh, women and minority-led startups um, earlier than anybody else. And uh, today is the first state-backed pre-seed fund for women and minorities in the country. It's called the Builder Fund at TEDCO. So um, something I'm really proud of. And last September, I left that job to start Rare Breeze. So. Yeah. And where were we? What city were we in? We were in the Southeast. Miami. Miami. Yes. And we were at the same event where uh, I met Jamari and I, I think I followed a black, an original Black Panther. Yes. I remember these things because I was called yes. out that day. <laughs> black tech, um, that was Black Tech Week. Black Tech Week. Yeah, that was so cool. And I remember and I remember even before we met in person, 
looking at your emails and your emails were, um, you, you know, you, like you say, you were, you were doing things and, 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 and doing them at the, at the state, the city and state level before I heard from anybody doing it specifically like that. So sometimes people get upset if you say you were doing it first or whatever, or if other people say you were doing it first, because they think for some reason that takes away from what they were, what they're doing. But the fact is, I, that's what I saw, right? I saw you doing that. Um, and I thought it was so, it was so cool because you were, you pretty much had the same amount of capital that we had, um, and you were making, moving mountains. So this isn't, uh, you're not new to this, you're true to this. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and that was, it was interesting back then because like, when we started that, that, that we started that fund in 2017, the only person out there doing pre for black and brown people was you. Right, right. It was like, it was like, I see you and I saw you. <laughs> so we were, so we were doing that. And I think from t two different angles, which I think very was much important. So. It was very smart to do. Um, and here we are. And, you know, just kind of, I think we have similar and, and Chacho and the rest of the backstage team, we all have similar goals. I also really like, um, I think we can talk about this a little bit. Like mm -hmm. talk to me about your decision to, to have the investment mandate not be for underrepresented founders only. I saw that um, before I invested. Yeah, so at Rare Breed, well, when I was working for the state, you know, the pre seed fund we did was specifically for underrepresented founders. And two things happened. One, I got labeled as somebody who invested in black and brown companies and all the companies I invested in got labeled as that as well. Yep. And so then people start looking at them like, oh, you got that money from the black fund. Yep. And it's like, no, 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 no. They got this because they were good companies. And so when I was thinking about the landscape, the raising capital, you know, I had gotten to meet a few institutional LPs and got to understand a little bit about the way they think. And, and when you start talking about institutional LPs, we're talking about like, you know, pension funds and like, like, like nobody knows who like runs the, the railroad pension fund in Iowa, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But like those folks make decisions on like large dollar amounts and they don't care about diversity. Yeah. And so like, for me, it was one of those things of, one, I don't need the extra hurdle when I go to fundraise. Two, I don't want any labels on the companies I invest in. Mm -hmm. um, and three, you know, it gives us the flexibility because like, you know, if I was to meet Mark Zuckerberg today, he told me he's building Facebook. Like, am I going to say no because you're a white guy? Like, well, so so I am, I am on camera. I'm on Bloomberg television saying I would say no to him, right? Um, I would let him just walk on by. But, and I have. I have done something similar to people of that stature. But... What I love is a couple of things that I'm pulling from this is like, first, mm -hmm. I just love the diversity of opinion. Yes. Because one thing that happens is that we all get kind of lumped in the same category that everybody has to be in order for me to, to, to be you to be okay. You got to agree with everything I say. Every that black GP has got to be the same. You got to be the same. And, and your take on it is I don't agree with a hundred percent of what you just said. I don't mm -hmm. necessarily subscribe to it, but I absolutely feel that we all need to be out there because I feel like you, and I'm being just real honest. I feel like the reason you're able to do that is because backstage stayed, stayed in that lane and would not change from that lane. Right. I think that you're able to, to have that, you know, conversation because of that. And I, sometimes I think about it. Uh, I say, well, we've earned, you know, we've earned this out a little bit. A few years have gone by. Should we open it up? And then I just get like, no, I don't want to just because we're so entrenched here and we're good at it and we have fun with it. Yeah. 
And every once in a while, um, I will do a small investment into a white male founder. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I mean, like once a year, I'll put $5,000 <laughs> into, you know what I'm saying? Like right. you know, my, my little uh, philanthropic bucket. And, and that's because they're a friend or that's because, you know, they're working on something that is touching multiple lives in, and right. I believe in it. But overall, I just think this is where we land. But the second thing that I'm drawing from it is it's almost like a trigger because I'm so used to hearing from all crowds, you know, sometimes it's your own, that by us having this label, we are somehow um, making our portfolio less valuable or individually companies. And, and so I've had to like really weigh that and decide what's more important and what's, what's going to be, have more impact hearing that or doing the work that we know we do. And so I just, I had this great conversation with Morgan Debon last week mm -hmm. where she told me, you know, she never, she didn't get it for the first three years. She didn't get what we were doing. And she, and I know this for a fact that she's one of those people who, who put that out there uh, in the back channels, but I also understood why, mm -hmm. you know, I understood why. So it's almost, I guess what I'm saying, the very long version of the very long way, I'm saying that it's almost feels um, like you have, like you're kind of saying, coming out and saying, it really is that tough out there. It shouldn't be that tough, but it really is that tough to raise a fund. And so you got to make some decisions that the people who are talking about it don't have to deal with. Yeah, I mean, and, and, I'll, and I'll be honest, right? Like I struggled with that decision up front. Right? Like it was something I had to spend a lot of time with. Yeah. Um, and I don't think people understand. Like, first of all, fundraising's hard. Fundraising's hard for everybody. Founders, GPs, whatever. But if you're a founder, typically you're going to fundraise for three, maybe six months. You know, if you go and if you go and go through the struggle, you're going to be like doing the rolling fundraise, where it's like it's not you're not fundraising directly. Like you just try to get money as money comes, right? Yeah. That's the thing. But like for a GP. You're fundraising for 18 to 24 months. They just take how hard it is as a founder to fundraise and then stretch that out for two years. Like that's your that's your constant state of being <laughs> fundraising. And that is hard. Then put in any labels or anything else. Because here's the other thing, right? When I go and I pitch the folks, they automatically assume I'm investing in black and brown companies. Like they yeah. like I'll give my whole pitch, my whole pitch and never mention it. And they'll be like, yeah, you know, I'm so excited, you know, a fun, you know, dedicated, underrepresented founder. Like, I never said that. Like, yeah. I'm glad you feel that way. Like the majority of my fund will probably be that, but like I never, I never said I never that. Said like, that. Yeah. I knew that was going to happen anyway. It's almost it's a it's a blessing and a curse. It really mm -hmm. is having the the being out there in the forefront. You know, but at the end of the day, honestly, if you are not like Brene Brown and all these other people say, if you're not in the arena with us, and I don't think you get an opinion. I just don't think you get an opinion about it, or at least I'm not going to be able to hear it as well, because I'll hear from you. I'll hear from Lolita. I'll hear from people out there who are like waking up every day, figuring out like, how do I get more capital to founders in general, just for the, the ecosystem? Yeah. And but I, what I can't really sit well with is like I just don't love the well this is how you should be doing it. <laughs> it's like do you uh, okay. okay. That that is like that is like the worst. Like it's so interesting. Like for so long I was told that venture's done 
this way. A, B, C. This is how venture is. And like, as I've been like raising my fund, I've been doing everything that venture is not supposed to be, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You know, and like the idea that all these rules are out there, you know, like one of the favorite thing people like to say is like, hey, as a new fund manager, you need to build relationships with all these key mark funds because that's the only way you're going to get into good deals. I'm like, well, does that mean I don't have the ability to find a good deal on my own? Or is a deal only good if, you know, Sequoia or Andreessen's in it? Like, exactly. what does that even mean? <laughs> it, doesn't make, it doesn't make logical sense, the things that are these bullet point uh, lists. Uh, yes. So let's talk about uh, being a, are you a solo, you're a solo GP, right? I'm a solo GP with a team, right? Like I'm the only full-time person, mm -hmm. but like I've, I've developed this team around me that all came ad hoc, right? Today, I have a venture partner, two uh, junior investors on my team and three fellows. Yeah. And when I started, it was just me. And it was just me very purposefully because when I first went started thinking about raising the fund, I wanted to have a partner because I was afraid I wouldn't be able to raise the money by myself. And every time I would, I would talk to a partner, I had a very clear thesis of, I want to do larger checks of pre-seed. That's what I want to do. I want to do bigger checks of pre-seed. And I would talk to people and they would get excited and be like, yeah, let's do this. We should raise a fund together. And then they would come back and be like, well, you know, that pre-seed thing, the check size, we can, um, we can change that a bit. And like, I just made it up in my mind. Like if you didn't believe in this strategy, then gonna, I don't need it. It's not going to work for you. Yeah. And so everybody on the team to date is people I've met along the way who have been all on board with the strategy and supporting. And it always started with like, they were just, they just wanted to genuinely help. And I looked up one day and like, they just never left. Yeah. The thing is like the people who, who wanted to be, you know, be partners, it's not that they're wrong or right. It's that they could start their own yeah. thing to do their thesis. And that's what you should do. Yeah. If you're somewhere where you don't necessarily agree with the party line, you kind of have to make the decision. Well, if I'm not going to give all of this to this group, then maybe I should go somewhere else. And, and I think that, you know, that breeds some good, some good things. Do you, Chacho, you all know each other? Yeah, we do. Yeah, I believe we did meet in Miami because I was there. Yeah. And then, yeah um, we've, we've had a call or two. We've had a call or two, yep. And then, uh, yeah, I think I had one question. Um, it's a bit more philosophical, but like what mm -hmm. sort of is driving you to um, raise this fund? It's obviously really difficult. You could be doing a lot of things with an impressive background, but why Why the fund? So there's there's there's, there's two things to that, right? And the first thing is like, why VC? Because I can make a whole lot more money working as an operator. Like I've been offered jobs where I can make a whole lot more money, right? Um, mm -hmm. And one, VC, because when I was running the fund at the state of Maryland, I got to see the impact being made on these companies, right? And these are companies that probably don't get funding if we're not there to do that at that stage. And so I realized very quickly that one, I love this work. I love helping people in general. So helping startups is great. And then the amount of impact I can create on the like one to many scale, I don't know if I could do that with my skill set anywhere else, right? Outside of maybe working at a nonprofit, right? Like this is, and being able to do good while also like potentially have the chance to make money one day in the future, right? Like there's, like there's an opportunity to do that one day maybe. But the more the drivers, the, the impact. And then 
the reason why I started my own fund is because, and I talk about this a lot, there's two founders that changed my life. The first one's a black woman in Baltimore, uh, Shauna Step-Jones of Devoneering Labs, who wanted to build a, a tool in the wig, and weave, the wig and weave space. And it was one of the most innovative things I've ever heard. It was in an industry that hadn't had innovation in my lifetime. And she spent three years getting the door shut in her face over and over and over again, including the organization I worked for, to the point where she becomes a surrogate mother to raise capital to start building a prototype, right? Like, well, like wait, that, wait, stop for a second, because I remember seeing this on Twitter. Matt, go mm-hmm. back and say that one more time. Say what she did to make- she became, she became a surrogate mother and gave birth to twins so she could get money to start building her prototype. And it's not even enough money to get a full prototype done. It's just enough money to begin the process. Right. And so, um, I mean, that that on its own, I, I remember hearing that story on Twitter and somebody asked me if I'd heard it. I said, no, but I wish I, I wish I knew before she did that, you know, like it would have walked her into someplace even if I didn't have it myself. Yeah. And so like the fact that I didn't have a way to make that investment and I couldn't think of a firm I could have worked at at the time where I could have made that investment. And I was like, yeah, well, I need to start that. And so that's, that was like the beginning inklings of me starting a fund. And then in June, you know, I started tweeting more often. So like back in June, I only had 2,500 followers. Like, like all the followers I have today, this is all new. This is all new to me. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to learn from you, Arlen. Like, how do you handle this Twitter thing? <laughs> but um, I met a founder, uh, Roberto, a RoboAmp out of Dallas, Texas. And, you know, he's building this company. He's been a developer since he, like, he's been coding since he was seven, it's a really tech heavy product. He's got revenue, he's got partnerships, he's got all the things that you look for. And he was raising a small amount of money on a small valuation because nobody would talk to him. And I couldn't figure out why, and then I realized because he's a Latin guy in Dallas, Texas. And so when I started to put SPV together to try and fund him, one of my advisors said, hey Mac, I don't want to invest in this white company. I want to invest in every company that you find. So here's some money, go start a fund. And I didn't want to. I was like, it's, co- it's COVID, ain't nobody giving money. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, this ain't the time, maybe next year. He was like, it'll never be the right time. Go do this. And it'll never be the wrong time. Yeah, it'll never be the wrong time. And so that's mm-hmm. that's why I started Rare Breed and that's how Rare Breed came to be. Those two founders yeah. profoundly changed my life. Amazing, amazing. Um, let's l- switch gears just for a mm-hmm. second to talk about some some current things, mm-hmm. current events. Do you have an overall philosophy or uh, opinion of SPACs? I mean, SPACs have been around for a long time. They're now being used more readily. And I think from a venture standpoint, it's good for the ecosystem because you're getting more liquidity, right? Like we've seen companies stay private much longer because now, as opposed to maybe 10 years ago, we now have venture funds that are willing to write checks as big as 400 and 500 million. So there's no need to go public, right? Mm-hmm. But then that means there's less liquidity in the space for from a venture standpoint. So SPACs offer you the ability to get liquidity while still getting that money into those companies at those stages. And so from a venture standpoint, it's a good thing. So we're going to see a lot more exits. I don't know where that nets out for, for companies in the long run, right? Yeah. I don't know if this is a good thing or bad thing for companies. And like, we're going to have to see how the rise of SPACs actually affects the ecosystem as a whole. But yeah. just from a venture standpoint, like, you know, more liquidity is always a good thing for us. 
but it's yeah, good well, that's, for a, that's a overall, few, that's a time. small group of people too. And I, I get, I, I'm yeah. worried about it. I'm worried about it because it it, it blew up so fast. I remember having a, a, a really good conversation with a private equity firm just a few months ago before it got really crazy. Mm -hmm. And they were working on a SPAC and they, and they said they had been doing SPACs for like 10 years or something. And they said, I said, what do you think of this? And they said, yeah, people are going to have their fun with it. And then it's going to, and then it's going to kind of come back. The loop will come back. Um, whether it becomes a bad loop or an okay, you know, just disappears is, is right. remains to be seen. But I just posted about um, uh, NVCA, National Venture Capital Association, just posted to this morning that some SPAC, with the 40% of or so of their investors withdrew their amount. Cause you can do that up until a certain time period, you can take your money back if you don't like the deal that people end up doing and 40% took theirs from this. And so all of a sudden more people are calling it in, you know, uh, like, you know, are, is this good? And to me, it was like, that was inevitable. I get worried about anything that is so, um, it, it, so talked about, and that's why I think so many people are concerned about NFTs, which which is also learning about. But I I feel like if you had to ask me which one's going to be around in five years, SPAC will not SPACs will not in the way that it is today. Yeah. Of course, it'll still be in existence, but not the way it is. And NFTs will be around. That's that's just how I feel. Chacha, what do you think? Yeah, I um. I think it's interesting and I think more options for companies to sort of exit is a good thing. Um, like you said, the sort of long-term effects of it really unsure. And the person that I'm watching most closely in this space is Chamath Palihapitiya. Mm -hmm. um, I know he, um, it was like Virgin Galactic yeah. that um, he put through a SPAC and now he's the chairman of the board, chairperson of the board, I should say. And so, um, yeah, but other than that, I think um, it still remains to be seen what the long-term effects of, of it is. Yeah, I think people like Chamath are going to do do this for a long time. I think they'd be great if if it weren't just the three or four usual suspects. But I also don't think it's the the like I don't know. This seems like the, there are about a thousand people who think they're going to be able to do a spec and pull it off. Uh, but don't let me stop you. Uh, you know, prove me wrong. I want. I want to see right. it. Whatever drives more wealth into underrepresented, underestimated uh, pockets, I want to see that. But I also feel like you know, let's be let's be critical. Let's not just be lemmings and just say, oh, it sounds interesting. It seems like a nothing is overnight. I mean, I guess Bitcoin is the closest I can think to something. Where you wake up and the next day you have gone up five percent, but right. nothing is is truly overnight or as easy as taking a pill if it were i'd be 100 pounds lighter you know it just doesn't work so be have a critical eye is all i'm asking for for people who aren't aren't steeped in it already but definitely definitely disrupt it if you can yeah i completely um, agree yeah do you have any other any, anything else no, i was gonna say i completely agree especially on the the comment about SPACs versus nfts like nfts are going to be here like nfts is now we're getting closer and closer to like the true adoption of blockchain in the ecosystem, right? Like we've been talking about how blockchain is going to change things for so long. NFTs is like the first like real mainstream outside of Bitcoin and Ethereum where it's like, okay, your everyday person is at some point is going to be interacting with these. Like, yeah. like, like 
your mom, your grandma, your uncle are going to know what an NFT is at some point, right? So so I posted about Jack selling uh, his first tweet and it was at 2.5 million the last time I saw it. It was at, I watched it go from 10,000 to 88,000 and then I posted it. And Mm -hmm. when I did, I was saying, this is cool because I'm just learning about NFT. So this is like a really, you know, real world example. And people like Marco, um, uh, I don't know what his last name is. I guess it's Williams if Ania's last name is Williams, but who knows? Um, and Mar- so, so people, Marco, people who added on to it, who are people of color, they said, you know, NFTs are just, you know, the rich getting richer, the white man getting richer. And I really wanted to counter counter that because I just don't. I understand it because it's probably how I feel about SPACs. They feel about NFT, mm-hmm. but why is it different? Why is NFT the access to NFTs and why is it going to change things when when so many things have not? I think when we start saying stuff like that, it's really about access, right? Like it gets to the point of, are you going to have access to the technology? Are you going to have access to do these yourself? And the technology for NFTs is going to get easier and cheaper, easier and cheaper, easier and cheaper to the point where we are going to be able to get access to it. The problem is in the early days, the, the early adopters for technologies like this are the people in the circles who get to hear about it, yep. right? Yep. And very often that's not us, right? And like, you know, to give to give an example, um, we, we heard about Main Street raising $60 million today, right? Really cool company. Um, one of my closest friends, and actually my former CTO, is an employee there. He's an employee there because I heard about Main Street and knew that we were hiring. And so people ask me, like, is entrepreneurship going to change the wealth gap in America? I'm like, it can, but that's assuming every company is going to be successful. I was like, if you look at my friend who got this job at Main Street and you look at, like, all the incentives they gave him, when Main Street goes through a SPAC or IPOs or gets acquired by some big company, he'll become independently wealthy. Mm-hmm. His kids will never have to worry about college, you know, buying their first car, their first house. He'll have an investment portfolio that, like, most people who grew up the way me and him did could never conceptualize. But the only reason he gets the ability to potentially do that is because he has the ability to be one of the first 50 employees at a company that could be the next Uber. And we often don't hear about those opportunities. Mm-hmm. And that just goes back to access. Yeah, the Paul Graham uh, paper where he said, you know, this is how you build wealth. And he talked about being the first 150 employees. Mm-hmm. It's to, to take away Paul Graham because I have issue with him, but like it itself, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not going to see uh, By the way, I should say that Marco is going to be on the podcast in the, uh, in the next few weeks so he can, he can give his take on it as well. Um, so I'm not going to go to Paul because he's not here to defend himself. Although, never mind. Okay. So what I was going to say is that his article about that isn't necessarily that it's wrong because some people say it's just wrong it's a bad article it's what it it's elitist it's this it's that it's not that it's wrong it's just that who gets to read it and have that insider information that they don't think it's insider they think it is open source because they put it on the what is it called the yc hacker news hacker news that is not open source yeah in this world the real the real world and so i agree with you wholeheartedly there um I think as we start to kind of turn the corner here and, and, and wrap up a little bit, I do want to talk about something that is incredibly important. And um, and I'm, just, I'm kind of joking, but it is important. It turns out that it is important. Uh, all you all you fancy people who decided not to watch 
Oprah interview Megan and Harry because you're too good for that, you've missed a, 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 an international conversation and a national conversation. Did you see the interview, Mac? I did not. And did you have a reason that you did not watch it? I'm fundraising. <laughs> like, I was uh, working. <laughs> oh, you're one of them. Okay, okay. No, no, no. Look, look, I'll, I'll say this, right? Hustle, hustle culture and all that, that ain't cool. Like, take your, take your time, take care of yourself. That ain't the way it works. But uh, I eat what I kill. So like, if I'm not out here fundraising, uh, a brother got bills and got a face. So I got you. I got you. I got you. It's just the grind for the moment. It ain't gonna last. Did you Hopefully. did you uh did you get to catch any of the, the conversation about it? Hey, Chacha, did you I've watch? Caught, yeah. I did not watch it, but I caught all, a lot of the snippets on my for you page on TikTok. Did you say sniff bits? Snip bits. Oh, snip bits. Snip Okay, I thought you said sniff bits. I thought things like are called TikTok are real. So maybe sniff bits is something I just don't know because I'm, I'm, I'm not the <laughs> No, definitely not. Like, what sniff bits? I just caught up to Dispo. I just caught up, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> right. We're going to start a company right here and there called Sniff Bits. Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was. I thought it was fantastic. I watched it, um, and a lot of people who are listening right now watched it and have an opinion of it. It is, I think, some people, if you didn't watch it, you may think, well, first of all, you might have been watching the All Star game, depending on what, what part of the country you're in. You, you, you might have just been thinking, this is soap opera, this is, you know, none of my business, which it isn't any of our business. Um, but it really, really opened up a conversation that, again, we always know, we told you, we always know, but this conversation where it was revealed very specifically, um, that, you know, race, we knew this, it's not like we're revealing this, but it was revealed on this show and said out loud for the first time that race played into, uh, the reason that they left. And I think the reason it's resonant, it's the reason it's, it's on the lips of so many people. And it's not just for entertainment, you know, is that it resonated with so many people. Um, and so many people who have been, uh, you know, I, I would say watch it, it, it touches on um, um, uh, really important topics such as thoughts of suicide, um, being, you know, uh, almost like in a cult behavior, being kind of forced to stay in and, and not, um, not because of COVID kind of forced not to leave your house and all sorts of things. Um, and then of course, race relations and, and what that means in the colonies and everything. And if you watch the crown, I mean, come on, this is season five. So just, just bring it. <laughs> I need to watch the crown. Yeah. I, I've watched the first two seasons of it and I love it. I don't know if I'll like the, the, later ones just because they you know things change in the later ones uh but i really liked the first two that they were great and i was just i was someone who never paid attention to the royal family at all um i thought it was kind of silly and i still think the royal family is not none of my business but we're talking about a woman who is saying out loud i'm in danger I'm in physical danger. My husband's in physical danger. And, and most importantly, my child is in physical danger. And my unborn child is in physical danger. Not to mention the emotional toll and the almost losing her life, you know? And I think, and, and it's because of the color of my skin and nothing else that we could surmise, right? So I think it's important that we pay attention. Even if you don't watch two hours of it, I think it's important to 
find something that tells you the five takeaways because there's a reason Oprah, who has seen it all, has seen it all, jumped back in her seat a couple of times in this. Um, and I just want to say shout out to uh, to anyone who had to do with the making of that uh, uh, interview or, uh, you know, is involved in that in any way who listens to this podcast. Okay, that's all I have for the for now, because um, <laughs> I, I I could go on forever, but I want to be mindful of everybody's time. I really appreciate it. Mac, you have any, any parting words you want to make sure people know on this episode? Uh, um, for everybody out there, um, if you want to get in touch with me, follow me on Twitter at Mac Conwell, M-A-C-C-O-N-W-E-L-L. Um, I've also recently uh, launched uh, my own podcast. I've been asked to join a podcast as part of uh, Inside, uh, the Business uh, Inside podcast. So go to businessinsidepod.com, businessinsidepod.com, and, and check it out with me and my co-host Liam. We talk every week about giving practical uh, notes and information for founders to take away, right? We talk, the first episode just came out is on co-founders, do you need one, why or why not? Right. So giving practical knowledge out there to founders. And um, thank you again for one, having me on. Thank you for being part of the Rare Breed journey. Thank you for not being critical for having difference of opinions and being willing to have and being willing to have the conversations and to support differences of opinions. So thank you, Arlen. I will always, always do that. Um, that's the most important thing I think is 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 catalyzing dissenting opinions. It's one of the most important things I can think of. Thanks for being on, Chacho. It's Thank been you, real, everyone. as yeah. always. Now get back to work, Chacho. No. <laughs> 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 uh, I, know. I knew. I knew that was going to come up. I know that. Was... <laughs> Chacho, so he plays it so cool. He's a uh, he. He does a lot in a day, and I just really appreciate that. And so I appreciate you. I learning from you. You do. Yeah. A lot too. Yes, well, I appreciate it, and uh, we we got to do this again. We'll, we'll do this absolutely. Again. Come back, Mac. I'm looking forward to it. All right, thanks, everybody. Later.